Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. seat. We are going to continue our learning from the Gospel of John chapter 12 from verses 27 through 50 onwards. And uh, we, we skipped the scripture reading this morning uh, because it's a long passage. And we, uh, I, w- I would love if you can still find time today to read this whole section because it's a very, very beautiful and powerful section. I want you to read every verse that's in this section if you can sometime today. <clears throat> So I remember when I was young, about seven or eight years old, and my, my dad asked me this question one evening, and I do not know why. He asked me to, to pick four colors, four favorite colors. And while I was processing this question, right, he, he, I just found out that, that these f- four were going to be the only markers that I'm going to have for the whole school year because we couldn't afford to buy a whole set. So while I was processing this question to think about what, is, what are my four favorite colors, right? And the funny thing is at that age, I did not know what the primary colors were. So I just loved the floors in green, which is useless, but I wanted that, but it was like, oh, right? Um, the, the reason why I'm sharing this to you is because I remember how I felt in trying to pick four colors, right? And that's how I felt while preparing for this sermon this week. It was really hard for me to, to see this, this text and say, man, there's so much beauty. There's so much going on over here. We can talk about the Trinity. We can talk about, about the humanity and the divinity of God. We can talk about all these things. But I felt like God was saying, no, John, I want you to pick that one marker. And, and I want you to pick the one that you believe, that, I, that I'm putting in your heart to share to my children this morning. I thank God for Brynn. Uh, spend an hour with me on the phone just to kind of weed out stuff that like, okay, this is great, but is this what God wants me to talk this morning to you? And so this morning, I, I want to remove every distraction that I see here that's beautiful and there's not, nothing wrong in all these different topics, but I truly believe that what he wants you to hear this morning is what he wants you to hear this morning. And I'm praying that you will open your heart that he will soften your heart, that he will open your ears to listen to what the Spirit is teaching through his word. So before we dive in, we need to pay a little attention to the backdrop of this passage, of this event. The first thing we see is that this will be the last time that Jesus will be preaching before his betrayal, before the arrest, before the crucifixion. This is his last sermon. This is his last message. And the thing is that Jesus is fully aware of this reality. He knows that within a couple of days, it's going to be over. He's going to be crucified, and then he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to, things are going to change, but this is it. And he feels the weight of, of this coming to an end, coming to a close. And no one else has any idea what's going on. They have no clue. Even though Jesus has mentioned this to the disciples over and over again, they still don't get it, right? 
And we see in verse 27, it says that he was greatly troubled in his spirit. The verse reads this way. It says, this is Jesus saying, Now is my soul troubled in verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now, he is so troubled that this verse reminds me, it looks a lot similar to Jesus' prayer in the garden in John 17 verse 1. It's very similar. So that is how broken Jesus is at this time. We also got to keep in mind that Jesus is talking to a very, very diverse group. This is not the kind of group that you see when he's walking and people follow him and go to the mountainside, right, or to the river side to listen to him teach. This is not a group that, of people who would spend all day listening to him preach and teach, no matter how hungry and thirsty they are. This is not that crowd. We see his disciples with him, most likely. We see maybe his family members who still don't believe in him. We see people who are traveling to Jerusalem for this festival of Passover. We, you know, there are onlookers, bystanders, right? We also know that there are people who are non-Jewish people. We have the Greeks over here who maybe don't fully follow the language all, all that well. We have folks, and what Brent mentioned last Sunday, there's a good chance that people who are here right now are the same people who are going to be screaming with a gut-wrenching voice, crucify him, crucify him, in a couple of days, in a few days. This is the crowd, and Jesus knows all about who they are. Some of the folks didn't even plan on seeing Jesus that day. They were just going by. This is the crowd. And the beauty of that is that Jesus preaches the gospel to them. He preaches the gospel to them. And I wish we could spend more time on this, but it's, take, you, you should read this. Spend time reading this in your own time. We see how Jesus unravels this and says, hey, the gospel, of, of the message of salvation is not just the Holy Spirit or the Son. It's, it's the Trinity. It's, it's God the Father. It's the Son and the Spirit playing a unique role in salvation. And we see this beautifully done in this passage. So I want to come back to what I began with, with this idea of this marker, right? The one marker. And the one thing that I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to listen to this morning, and my question to you is this, how do you respond to Jesus? That is what I want us to sit in this morning. How do you respond to Jesus? And I'm not asking you a hypothetical question about how would you have responded if, if you were at the time but Jesus was preaching. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if you would have yelled, crucify him during the trial. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking a very, very sincere and honest question. I'm asking you, how do you respond to Jesus and his teachings in your day-to-day -day life? How do you respond to Jesus every day? What does that look like? How do you respond to the gospel? If this is the good news, how do you respond to it? And we see a few reactions in this passage. And, and my desire is, that my prayer is that, that if you see yourself, that you'll be convicted, that you will repent, that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, and that he'll draw, him closer, he'll draw you closer to him. And I wanna, the first thing I want to talk about is this is the response we see in this passage. We see this in verse 28. This is Jesus to the Father. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, and the voice says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is what the crowd, the crowd says. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Weird, right? 
Others said, an angel had spoken to them. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. The first thing we see as a response to the gospel, as a response to Jesus, the first thing we see is that people over here are explaining things away. They're explaining away what just happened. Can you imagine hearing the voice of God? And to a crowd that really did not merit that kind of of an, an experience, right? If you think about it, I would have imagined this being the crowd that was sitting at Jesus' feet. Matthew 5, right? And all day long hearing him teach, and then they hear this voice. It would have been beautiful, right? But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus does not really need us to impress him for the Father to be revealed. The Father reveals himself to those whom he chooses to reveal himself to. And we are unworthy. These people over there maybe didn't even know that they need a Savior. It didn't matter. The Father chooses to reveal himself to us based on who he chooses to and when he chooses to. There are only three times in the, in the Gospels where we see the voice of God being heard when Jesus was walking on earth. We see this in the first time. We see this in the baptism of Jesus. We see this mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John mentions it too. And the voice says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the audience, a lot of scholars believe that the audience was John the Baptist. This was for John the Baptist to know that Christ was the Messiah. This was for him to believe in the Messiah. You see, the second time, you see this in the Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And the voice says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And it adds a little phrase. It says, Listen to him. And the audience of this voice was Peter, James, and John, the three most closest disciples to Jesus. And the third time we hear the voice is in the confirmation of the Christ in this passage. It talks about that. And, and the audience is everyone. It's people who do not deserve to hear that voice. People who are not Jewish people. People who are going to be yelling, crucify him in a couple of days. This is all of us, that we are invited to the gospel, that we, undeservingly as we are, that the gospel is for us that none of us are unworthy, that God himself finds us worthy to receive the gospel, to hear the gospel. Now, what I want to focus on in this passage is something about the voice. The voice of God. And I want to ask you, do you believe that the God that's mentioned in the gospel, this voice, still speaks to us? Do you believe that as a child of God, that God still speaks to us? And if you're someone who's not a believer here, this is God speaking to you through his word. And I pray that you will open your heart to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And if you are someone who knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you if you really believe, if you truly believe that God still speaks to us, does that show in the way you live? You know, I, I really think that if you truly believe that God speaks to us, We'd be praying a lot more. We'd be asking God for directions more. We'll be in his word a lot more. We'd be be in the prayer room a whole lot more. Because we know the value of listening to God's voice. When was the last time you said, God, I want to stop. I want to pause. And I want to sit at your feet. And I want to listen to you. I want to listen to your voice. Speak to me, Lord, your servant is listening, like how Samuel said that. Dear church, are you just ringing it? Are you just ringing it? 
that you kind of keep going along your day-to-day life and you're hoping that God is in it. You're hoping that you're doing the right thing. When did you last ask God to speak to you from his word? He still speaks to us. You know, um, in our church, there was a person who woke up one day blind. This really happened. I don't lie on Sundays, okay? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, you get the joke, right? So this person woke up blind. I'm not making this up. And, and we went to, their, to this person's house as a community of believers, and we prayed. We began by praying, confessing our sins. And we said, God, if it's your will, if it's your will, heal this person. And the craziest thing happened. This person got healed. This person could see again. And what breaks my heart is that when there are people in this community who were there when they saw this happen, until today, they will explain away what rationally what happened and not give the glory to God. You know, I know for a fact that many of us over here have experienced God in a profound way, in a beautiful way that you cannot explain. But because we haven't experienced God in a constant, we don't ask for this, we learn to live with, with mediocrity. We, we learn to live with nothing. And we call, it, we call this being the spiritual life of being a believer, which is not true. This is not the gospel, dear church. This is not the gospel. We have to be people who can ask, who can ask God boldly for stuff. We need to pray in faith. When did you last pray in faith? You know, so I'm, I don't want us to be like this where we explain things, where we, we minimize what God is doing. I want us to be a people of faith who can pray and believe that God can do amazing things among us because he wants to, and he wants to speak to us. And moving on, um, I want us to look at verse 34, sorry, 37 through 40. And just so you know, here John the Baptist opens a can of worms, okay? <clears throat> In verse 37 it says, Though he had done so many things before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Apostle John here is quoting Isaiah 6, verses 9, 9 through 10. And this, this is something that I think we, we all struggle with to some extent, to some level. Uh, I can't imagine being Moses, okay? This is Moses here struggling with God's sovereignty. Imagine being in his shoes. Here God is calling him to go back to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go so that they might worship me. Right? And Moses is the one who's journaling in the book of Exodus all that happened in this whole time, in this whole, exp- this whole journey, in this whole tension between Pharaoh and Moses. Right, And then God also tells Moses this thing in Exodus 14 verse 4. God tells Moses, I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart that he will not listen to you, that he will not let you go. Imagine being in the shoes of Moses. Like, God, you're sending me to this guy He's a king, and you're going to harden his heart? 
And Moses is writing this stuff as it, as it unfolds. You know, I don't know when did John understand the sovereignty of God in this passage. I don't know when he got it. Because we see him quoting Isaiah, right? I'm pretty sure that the disciples along with John were really, really frustrated and broken to see all the work that they're doing, all the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, and no one believes. No one believes. But then at some point, John gets it, right? Either maybe then, maybe after the Pentecost. I don't know when that happened, but he sees, say, oh, wow, this is actually fulfilling scripture, that God is sovereign. He, he decides that this is his hand in work, in action. And church, I know that many of us, we struggle with that. I know we do. You know, I, I can only imagine if, you know, I don't know your stories, but I know that many of us over here have been through a lot in the past, been through a lot recently, at least in the last year or two, right? And you can struggle and say, God, how, if you're loving, if you're sovereign, if you care about me, why would you let these things happen to me? Why would you allow these things happen to me? God, I trust you. I want to live for you. But why do these things keep happening to me? You may have asked that question to God. Maybe you still are asking those questions to God. And I, dear church, I want to remind you that, that it's okay. It's okay for you to struggle in knowing how can God allow these things to happen. It's okay. But this is where I want us to be careful about the first thing we learn about we learn that we, like, our response could be explaining things away, right? Explaining away God's work, His voice. And the second thing is we can get stuck. We can get stuck with the big questions that we're struggling with. And this is only one example: the the whole predestination and free will, right? These are questions that have been discussed for centuries, for centuries, and it'll be impossible for you to fully understand that no matter how hard you try. The part that I'm concerned about you as, as the bride of Christ is that when we come to a place and when we start questioning God, right, and we have a posture that's not humble, we, we, we start saying things as if we are more righteous, as if we are more loving than God himself. And that is a scary place to be. It's okay to wrestle with the brokenness you're seeing in your life all around you and say, God, help me understand you. I want to know you more. Speak to me. That is okay. That's beautiful. He wants us to be that way. But when we challenge God, it puts us in a place of being prideful and saying that I'm more loving and I'm more righteous than God himself. The second thing I see that can be a slippery slope is... And I think almost every group has this person, right? Every gospel community. We have those pundits, those really smart dudes, right? And no matter what the conversation is, it could be talking about a brownie recipe. It doesn't matter what it is, right? It'll somehow end up in predestination, right? Or free will. Like you end up in this, like, how did we end here? Like, why are we talking about this again, right? There's no end. In, like, there's nothing. We cannot get, go past this point, right? I think, I think we do this. There are these, these topics that we all know that will just kill the conversation, and I think we do this because we know that it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> and ultimately we can be safe from being vulnerable. If every meeting you have with certain individuals always goes to these topics that you cannot come out of, right? There's no end in sight. It means that you're struggling to be vulnerable. 
And I challenge you with that because the gospel is not that. The gospel is moving forward. The gospel is us being a family, of us being a community that can be honest, that can say, I need prayer. I'm broken right now. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. This is where I am. Can you, can, you, can you walk this journey? Can you speak truth into my life? That is the gospel. You know, 1 Timothy 2, verse 23 says, don't give in to foolish arguments. And you may say, well, that's not foolish, is it? Talking about these amazing truths and theology. Well, if your conversation is not drawing you closer to God, is not convicting you, and it's not pushing you to, to, to understand or see the gospel being manifested in your lives, it is a foolish argument. It's not bringing anything, any, it's not moving forward. It's not glorifying God. And I, I challenge you, I, I plead with you that if you are someone who does this, that you will stop and say, I'm not going to fall in this trap of hiding behind these big topics. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be broken. I want to be honest in what God is doing and what, I, and what I'm facing right now in my personal walk with the Lord. So dear church, whenever you're, whenever you're in a place of a conversation with either an elder, friend, you know, who's challenging you in your walk with the Lord, is your default response to Jesus deflection? Do you always deflect? Maybe you don't say it out, but in your mind, you're just playing, you're thinking through every response that you want to say, but like, I'm not going to say it right now, but I, I know what I believe. I know where I stand on this, but I'm going to let it go, right? We, we deflect whenever we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. So the first thing we see is that we, we explain, we have a tendency to explain things away. We explain the glory of God. Or we get stuck with the big questions in a way to escape from reality, escape from being vulnerable. Going further, we see another response over here. We see this in verse, verse 37 and 40. Okay, I want to, sorry, 37 through 40. My bad, I'm sorry. Let's, let's look at verse 42. Let's look at 42. It says, nevertheless, this is John kind of pushing pause in what's happening here. He sees the sovereignty of God. The people's eyes are closed. They, they cannot respond. And then you see verse 42. It's a contrast to what he says earlier with, with, with relationship to what Isaiah says. He says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they decided, or they did not confess. They did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. What I want to talk about is that I think so often the third response that we have is that we aim, we aim for the bare minimum. When we see God, when we listen to God's voice and the gospel, we aim for the bare minimum. There is a contrast between verses 37 through 40 it talks about God's sovereignty, and then verse 42 and 43, which talks about our human our responsibility, our response to God. The word confess in this verse, I want us to look a little deeper. The word confess over here, it uses the imperfect tense in the Greek, which is crazy, which implies that this word confess is not a one-time occurrence. It's an ongoing posture. It's an ongoing motion. The, the funny thing is I've, I've spoken to people at our church, even outside, who still believe that, that when you get saved, that you say this prayer, right? 
you confess that Jesus is God, and then that's it. Done. Seal the deal, right? Now, there is truth to that. Yes, the journey begins at that point, but the fact of the matter is that our, our salvation is an ongoing process. It goes on till we die, till we are glorified with Christ. And this word confession has that implication of an ongoing posture of being a witness, of, of living the gospel on an ongoing basis. These folks believed that Jesus is God, but they did not confess. You know, I, I think many of us believe in Jesus. I think many of us believe in Jesus. And, and if I can be sincere, I think many of us struggle to confess that. We struggle to confess that. You know, and we, we get a little more clarity as to why. It says that in verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The word glory here, it means that they loved the praise, the honor, the dignity that comes from people, the right standing in society, right? In our case, our jobs, our worldly possessions, and the friendships and benefits that come from those who don't believe in Jesus. We, we love that. We like that. So we don't confess. And to understand the gospel, to understand what is this that Jesus is trying to tell people, we have to rewind and go a little, little up. Look at verse 35. This is becoming more and more one of my most favorite verses that kind of summarizes the gospel. In 35 it says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Over here, Jesus is saying, to become sons of light, to become, we need to walk and believe. We need to walk and believe to become sons of light. And the word confess in this passage that's talking about is the walk that Jesus is talking about. It's the walk, it's the action, it's a response to the gospel. So what does confessing of our faith in an ongoing basis look like? What does that look like, right? It means that we are preoccupied with the gospel. It means that we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It means that we are always looking for opportunities to love people the way Christ loves us. It means that we are prayerfully looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus the good news by means of living it out in action and through our, our words. It truly means that we are preoccupied by the gospel. And dear church, everything we do, everything we do that's not aligned to the gospel is for our glory. It's for our pleasure. It's for our comfort and our security. And I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and be a street evangelist. And if that's what is God's putting on your heart, then I'm not going to stop you. But that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm asking you is that are you, living, are you living a life of conviction for the gospel? Or have you found a way to separate this whole idea that I believe, but I don't have to really do stuff? Is that kind of what you've landed? And that place does not exist in the kingdom of God. That doesn't exist in the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, your life should show that every day. In all situations, in all conversations, no matter what happens, if you believe in Jesus, this should follow. That is sanctification. That is the gospel. That is salvation. How often have we neglected that part? We have found this, this 
this belief, which is not scriptural, that I can be comfortable, I can be quiet about everything. I believe in my heart. I go to heaven, right? But our lives don't show that. Not one bit. You know, for the, for the first century Jews, they really did not want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They did not want that. No matter what, not that, right? What I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, is what is the synagogue that you don't want to be get, get kicked out in your life right now? What is that synagogue? What are you terrified of losing for the gospel? Are you afraid to be known as a Christian? You know, I'm not saying that you need to cause commotions and chaos. I'm not, I'm not saying that. All I'm asking you, that marker, I'm asking you, are you living with conviction? Are you living with passion for the gospel? Or have you minimized the gospel to just mere existence? You just do the right things, have a job, be a good parent. You pray once in a while, you go to church, read the Bible when you can, and that's it. Is that how we've minimized the beauty of being a believer? Is that what this is all about? How is, how is this possible that we've made it this way? And you know what that, why that is? It's because we have lost sight of the gospel. We have lost sight of what's truly important as believers of Jesus. If I had to ask you on a one-on-one basis, if I had to ask you on a list of things from one to ten that are very, very important to you, where would the gospel be? I don't know if it will be on the top five, even, for most of us. I don't know. When was the last time you, you really enjoyed doing serve your neighbor as a believer? When did you last serve with joy as a volunteer? When we have served the city, we should be glad to say, man, I get to do this. I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. People get to see the beauty of Jesus and how we love these people. That should be us. You know, by, by your actions, are you showing that believing and knowing about Jesus is more than enough? And living for him and living with the gospel is secondary and maybe even optional. Is that how you're living? And this might shock some of you, okay? I hope not. Your systematic theology, your apologetics, your knowledge in Greek and Hebrew, all that stuff, even your faith without works is what? It's dead. This is what James says in 2, James 2. Your faith without the walk, the fa- your faith without works is dead. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be students of the word. I'm not saying that you should, please be in the word, read the word, learn the word, memorize the word. I'm saying that the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Is your knowledge drawing you to the world, drawing you to people who need to know the gospel? Is your knowledge puffing you up? You can talk and be and sound wise, but you really are not practicing the gospel. What is the knowledge doing to you? And I want to ask you, what is, what is the Lord stirring in your heart this morning? You've heard a lot. What is he stirring in your heart this morning? And I am praying that you would be convicted and say, God, I haven't been living the gospel. I've been really comfortable being a believer. And I'm praying that there are things that he's placed in your heart to do for the kingdom that you will obey and do it. It could be something silly, something small, something trivial that no one's even going to know about, right? But he's putting in your heart things that you and I should be doing for the kingdom. And I, and I plead with you that you will respond to Christ. 
and say, God, I have been missing out. I have not been living the gospel. I've been caught up with all these other things that have been going on in my life. I've been caught up with all the noise and all the garbage, but God, I have lost sight of the gospel. I've lost sight of you. I've made this all about me. And he will reveal to you what he wants you to do. I'd love to see the church be the church, living the gospel. And this is the last part of Jesus' sermon. This is his last sermon before he's crucified, okay? And he ends with a warning. He ends with a warning. In verse 47, onwards to 50, he says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And this is the scary stuff that I, I have to confess to you from God's word that we have a judge. That you and I, I have heard the gospel. I know that I, my, my works my, and my faith have to, walk, have to walk hand in hand. This is the way I'm supposed to live. That the gospel should be my preoccupation. And if I don't choose to do that, I have to go and account to God. Since you've heard this, now you are going to be held accountable to what the Lord is placing on your heart for you to do in being the gospel, in living out the gospel. And I'm not here to, to scare you or freak you out or manipulate you out of fear. That's not my goal. My goal is that live with passion, live with conviction, and be obedient to the Spirit. Live with conviction. I'm going to ask the band to come. And we're going to transition to communion. And as we prepare for communion, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what is God stirring in your heart this morning? What is he convicting you this morning? Have you been caught up with all that's going on? Have you been minimizing what God wants to do or has done in your life? Have you been seeking him for his voice? Have you been in the word? Have you been asking him to speak to you and reveal truth to you? Have you been just winging it? Have you been not, not authentic in your conversations, in avoiding real talk, and hiding behind this facade of being very intellectual. And ultimately, are you living a life of passion, of conviction that you are a child of God? And the band is going to sing a song, and I ask you, if you are saved, that you would get the sacraments, and we'll take communion together. Okay, I'm going to pray. Can we thank you for your word? We thank you that you are your spirit convicts us. We thank you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus unworthy as we were, as we are. That you open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to receive you. <clears throat> as you continue to work in us, God, I pray that people submit to you. Maybe not harden our hearts. Help us to walk the gospel. Help us to live with the gospel. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. 
please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others.